What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, here with PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, and we're back with another one of our QB Room episodes. The one's going to be a special one for me because it includes my favorite team, the Niners. And then later we're going to go on to talk about the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this is another episode in a series we've been doing for, I guess, quite a while now, probably a, a month-ish, where we go over every single QB room in the league. If you guys haven't checked the other episodes out yet, go ahead, go back, check those out. Uh, and without anything else being said, we could get into the 49ers QB room. Yeah, so the 49ers this season are going into the season with a quarterback room of Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, and Sam Darnold, and all of them took time last year. So let's get started with the guy who got the earliest time in the year last year uh, in 2022, Trey Lance. So um, quick recap of Trey Lance's game. He is an extremely physically gifted quarterback in terms of traditional athleticism, um, the, the run-jump whatever you want to say, type of athlete. Um, He has size with a decent build um, and has a really, really powerful arm in terms of velocity. He can drive the ball down the field um, into tight windows with relative ease. Um, And I think for me, that's kind of where it stops. Uh, He he seems to – he seemed to, coming out of college, have some potential to read coverages as he grew into his age, but that really – hasn't developed as I would like it to. Um, he still struggles with processing speed and feel, um, which is probably a result of him having so much time off um, with the pandemic, um, cutting his season short in 2020, 2020 and the um, injury that he's now faced combined with not starting and, and getting repped early on. So um, that's made it very difficult for him to kind of get up to speed. Um, and... Yeah, he's just kind of a ball of physical talent right now. So um, what do you want to add before you get into this week one game and then um, get to the rest? Yeah, since there isn't really much game film to talk about, Trey, I guess I'll dive a little bit deeper into what you were saying because I do think that I agree completely that he is an absolute like bundle of talent in pretty much every way you want a quarterback to be talented. Uh, he's got the speed. He's got a huge arm, he's got the height, he's got the size. He has everything, and that's what got him picked so far high up. And the problem is he's just kind of run into a bunch of unfortunate situations. I think given where he was picked and, you know, what he was coming into the draft, had he gotten taken into a different situation, maybe we would see something different with him. But it's just been a series of, I guess, unfortunate events, I'd say, for him. Uh, he was supposed to be a highly touted prospect after his 2019 season, which is when I believe his team went undefeated. He had a crazy run. I don't think he threw a single interception that entire year. It was a very small amount. He pretty much dominated at North Dakota State for a year. And then 2020, as PD had mentioned, the year was cut short due to COVID. I think he only played one game where he didn't look the best, but because of how good he was in 2019, he was still taken really high and then he got he gets put in the situ Niners situation where they're thinking to win now but also took a developmental quarterback and then we're still kind of leaning towards Jimmy G let him play a year and then he was given the reins in the following season 
where he gets injured very early, which we'll talk about. And Brock Purdy comes in with the much better team and looks much better and it's, takes them far into the playoffs. You, it, it's hard for him to get any playing time. So I agree that he's also still very, very raw. And in terms of actual quarterbacking skill, it may not necessarily be there. But you do have to take into account that he's only 23 and really has not played in, like, I guess four years now. So that could be a positive in the sense that he's not completely ruled out. We haven't seen a full season of him actually being bad, which is when you normally rule out these young prospects. But at the same time, he has not developed much in that time period. And it could be something that never happens. Yeah, for me, like the the absence the absence of a good season is is more of like a bad thing rather than a neutral thing. Um, I I want to see like consistent improvement as you get older and older, um, or at least improvement of some of the skills. Um, but let's jump right into it, and then we can get more into it as we discuss Brock Purdy because I think there's an important contrast there that really matters for the sake of the 49ers offense. So, um, first game against Chicago. Really ugly weather game, um, so Trey Lance's accuracy was was very poor. Um, he had a couple of really nice throws where the velocity showed up. The ability to push the ball into tight windows down the field was really impressive, but he had an absolutely awful interception that really had nothing to do with the weather. It was just a horrible read. Didn't see the defender. Um, and in terms of like rushing, he had a couple. He had, he had a number of like um, designed runs where. He just kind of like, this is another one of my issues with Lance. Um, I've, I talked about the accuracy just now, and uh, I've talked about uh, reading coverages better. Like, he he really just like, he treats himself like a bowling ball and just like lowers his shoulder every single time rather than trying to avoid contact and, and do things like that. So, um, yeah, some of, the, some of the rawness was apparent in this game, but there was some nice flashes of explosive downfield passing. Yeah, I love that you brought up the rushing because I think this that's the thing we agree on most about Trey Lance. I feel like when coming in, he was marketed as someone who's going to be an elite rusher as a quarterback. And he was so big. I mean, 6'4", I think he's close to like 230 pounds. He's not too far off from someone like a Josh Allen build or maybe if he was another 10 pounds, almost like a Cam Newton type of player. And even though he's a bit smaller, he was kind of marketed to be that type of rusher, at least, or at least a finesse type of rusher because he's so athletic and he kind of dominated in college running the ball. But as far as what I've seen on the field, he honestly seems to have very little vision as a rusher. Uh, it was it pretty evident in the few times we have seen him rush, whether it's design runs or scrambles. And it has been mostly designed runs because I feel like he doesn't know the right time to scramble yet and on designed runs he just seems to be kind of lost it's it's pretty clear that he was just using his athleticism advantage over everybody else in college to just run around people pretty much and that doesn't really work in the league and I think that was really evident in this one as PD mentioned very very bad weather game uh and I think that's kind of putting a putting it lightly because it was honestly one of the worst weather games you could have put a first time quarterback playing in. It was pouring rain. It was bad. And uh, rushing with a guy like Trey Lance in that situation is 
kind of exactly what you want to do. And we didn't really see much success from that. Uh, and I do think that's a problem long term because I think they're going to have to move away from him rushing the ball a little bit, which was kind of supposed to be one of his strong suits. Uh, but going back to him passing the ball, I agree that because of the weather, his completion percentage doesn't look too nice. He did show flashes in this game. Uh, I believe there's one crosser to Ayuk where he puts the ball right on the money, right above the linebackers, right before the safeties as he was crossing apart. And only someone with his type of arm strength could have made a throw like that. And there were a couple of throws I saw in this game where I was like, okay, this is where the Trey Lance potential comes in. However, that interception, as PD mentioned, was pretty terrible. Uh, just him making a completely wrong read on a short throw uh, made him look very, very raw. But overall, I think considering it was the first game and in such terrible weather, it was kind of just a feel-out sort of situation, but definitely not uh, one of the best things you want to see coming in. And that's kind of where it ends, as you yeah. mentioned on the next game. Yeah, the next game is where it ends because – after only a few dropbacks, he suffers a pretty gruesome ankle injury, um, and that puts him out for the rest of the season. So um, yeah. another setback in what's been a really up-and-down career for him. Um, hopefully he can bounce back and, and have, have a strong career from this point onwards. Um, but at this point, well, the Niners... Before we move on from the injury, I do want to mention that that injury also happened while he was rushing. And I think it did have to do with him feeling a bit, like, awkward and, like, him having weird movements while running the ball, which is a concern. I mean, both of us kind of just mentioned. And even though it is just a one-off injury, and like I said, I hope he bounces back, it is something to look at for sure because I don't think that was just, like, a freak accident per se. I think it's a product of him being, like, a kind of tentative rusher. But go on, PG. Yeah, I'm not going to call any injury a, a freak accident unless it's like a crazy non-contact injury where the turf just, mm-hmm. just fails the player. Um, but So that's the end of Trey Lance's season. Um, hopefully he can make a major comeback and, and have a, put together a strong career from this point forward. Um, but the Niners turn it over to Jimmy Garoppolo at this point, and we've talked about Garoppolo on the previous episode, um, so go check that out. But um, getting back to players who will play for the Niners this year um, – about week nine, I think it is, um, or week ten, yeah. something like that. Um, they insert Brock Purdy, and um, yeah, at this or, or week thirteen, it is where he gets his first volume starting opportunity. Um, and from this point on, the Niners' offense is just just absolutely explodes. So, Whoa. kind of, yeah, kind of like let's talk about Brock Purdy's overall game um, to start. So he's uh, he's definitely on the much smaller side um, as compared to Trey Lance, but he doesn't lack as much. Um, he, he's not that, that much, um, thinner than, than Trey Lance, um, only sheds about five pounds from, from Lance to Purdy, even though he does give up three inches of height. So, um, has much more of a dense build and he kind of uses that when he's scrambling outside of the pocket. Um, he's, he's pretty fearless, I would say, um, when he's trying to make plays out of structure and the big advantage that he gives over Trey Lance, um, in the context of this offense is that his accuracy is actually reasonably okay um, compared to Trey Lance's accuracy being pretty poor. Um, and his timing also meets that threshold of being okay versus Trey Lance's uh, not being at that level. So you see there's there's um, a huge importance uh, in fit, in my opinion, in a sport where 
you have 10 players on the field at the same time as you. Um, and I think that Brock Purdy's fit in this offense is significantly better than Lance's because of his ability to just be accurate and deliver the football on time um, as compared to Lance. And it's also the reason why you can see a huge jump um, from Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo because he shares more traits with with Brock Purdy, like I said, with the timing and the accuracy. Yep. Um, it's it's a lot better than Lance. And that, that's a significantly better fit for this version of the Shanahan offense, which wants to operate on um, short throws, yards after catch, pushing the ball over the middle, that type of thing. So um, that's why I, I think the Niners offense exploded. And um, Purdy's synergy with the offense is a pretty important factor to me uh, in the way he plays because the, the way that the Niners offense operates is, is kind of how I would like to operate a championship level offense. Um, maybe more counters than Brock Purdy has at this point in his game because um, his out of structure playmaking, uh, while it was good, it's it's in small sample and I'm not sure uh, how much it'll hold up. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of why I, I like Brock Purdy a lot more than Trey Lance as, as a player. Um, but let's get right into it with his first um, volume starting game. So um, this one's against Miami in week 13. And um, we'll talk about the Tua side of, of this game in an upcoming episode, but um, he, he was okay in this one, I think. Like, he he made a number of, of solid throws um, in the short and intermediate areas, and he did put the ball in harm's way twice, but the number of solid short and intermediate throws that he made in this one um, was good enough to make up for it and make it um, just kind of below average rather than a poor game that um, two turnover-worthy plays and, and the three sacks would suggest, in my opinion? Uh, to me, I was quite impressed with this game, and not because he was particularly good, Purdy was, uh, but because of just the situation he was kind of thrown into and what he made do with. Obviously, this was a huge game for the Niners going up against a team like the Dolphins, who were also rolling at this point, and the Niners were also having a really good season. This was a big kind of statement game and Purdy kind of had no expectation of playing obviously with the way Jimmy G was playing he was playing kind of the best football of his career at this point and Brock Purdy was obviously Mr. Irrelevant at the start of the year wasn't really expected to play and he was kind of just thrown in here in a big game and he was able to at this point kind of just game manage without uh having too much expectations on him or whatnot and he didn't throw the game away for the Niners, which is kind of exactly what he was expected to do in this game. Just come in and do what he needed to do. And he didn't really seem rattled. One of the things that I, I want to mention between the whole Purdy versus Lance thing is Purdy seems to have a really good feel for the game. Obviously, being a four-year starter at Iowa State, when I saw him come in versus when I saw Lance come in, Purdy kind of just seemed more comfortable and more like a quarterback than Lan- NFL quarterback than Lance was. I think that has to do with the amount of experience and the amount of just time playing quarterback pretty much Purdy has had. I mean, he didn't have a shortened season. He didn't have any time missed necessarily. He just doesn't have the physical tools that a guy like Lance does. And I think that kind of showed here. He was able to come in and make the simple passes, the simple plays, kind of run around and make those field plays every now and then where he just made a play out of nothing and yeah he did have an interception which I did think was his fault uh he took a bit too much pressure than my liking but for someone who was kind of thrown in there with no game plan 
I think he did a very, very good job. And he made a lot of big throws and he was fitting it on the money to guys like McCaffrey, Debo, spreading the spreading the wealth as well. I think he ran the offense exactly how the Niners would have that day, even if Jimmy G was playing. And I think that's a huge uh positive sign for, you know, the year to come as well. Yeah, um agree with most of what you said there. Um so let's move on to the next game against Tampa Bay. And Brock Purdy outplaying Tom Brady was not what I had in the cards. Um, but that's exactly what happened. So he generated a couple of explosive plays down the field. Nothing too impressive. They were kind of schemed up for him. Um, and he didn't throw perfect passes on him. But the number of short and intermediate throws that he made that were solid passes, um, combined with only one turnover-worthy play, I thought that leads to it being a pretty decent game from him again. Um and again, we, we kind of see like his ability to fit in the, the context of a high-level scheme uh, really, really helping the Niners offense and adding to what's already there being good. So, um, yeah, appreciated his performance from, from Purdy. Yeah, I said in the previous week that I was impressed with Purdy purely for just coming in and keeping the Niners afloat. But to me, I was even more impressed with this game than you, I think, PD, because I think in this one, he really elevated the Niners. I mean, this game was, like like you said, he outplayed Tom Brady, and this game was pretty much over at halftime because of the plays Purdy was making. I mean, accuracy-wise, he was on point. He was, yeah, Shanahan had kind of cooked up the perfect game plan for him, and he had plenty of people wide open, but he was hitting everybody in stride. He had a phenomenal pass at the end of halftime to Brandon Ayuk where uh, we had pretty much expected to just run the clock out. And then you see Purdy just launch one downfield to Ayuk. And I think that kind of ties into the fearless fear, uh, fearlessness that uh, PD was mentioning with Purdy earlier. Even though he doesn't necessarily have the physical gifts of probably most of other quarterbacks in the league, he's not afraid to just rip it downfield. And sometimes defenses just don't ex- expect that. And he's able to take advantage of that, even though his arm isn't the strongest. He's so accurate that, like, if it is a ball, like, maybe 20, 30 yards downfield, it might take a little longer to get there, but it will get there on the money. And I think we saw this pretty much all game. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot. I mean, this wasn't a huge volume passing game for him. As soon as the Niners kind of took the lead, they were running the clock out. You know, this was a game that they were expected to win and they're kind of just trying to get in and out but Purdy pretty much executed the game plan to per- perfection and that's what you want out of him in this offense he wrapped up the game by halftime there isn't much more I can ask out of him a uh, great game for him in my opinion yeah so let's move on to the next game which one th- this one was a little bit rougher to me um mainly because the interceptable pass that he threw the dropped interception was really really bad probably one of the worst plays that he made all year. Actually, probably the worst play that he made all year. Um, and he wasn't punished for it, so that's going to hurt him uh, in migrating. And he didn't make very many impressive throws to me. Um, nothing really explosive down the field that he generated. Um, but again, just just solid um, short passing and intermediate areas of the field. Um, yeah, so not absolutely horrible, but I do think it was a little bit of a step back from the Tampa game. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the Tampa game was very impressive to me. 
and this wasn't necessarily blowing me out of the water, but still, uh, like we've been talking about with Purdy, I think he was doing exactly his job in executing the game plan for the most part and just doing what he needs to in this offense, which is getting the ball to his playmakers. I mean, we saw George Kittle have one of his best games of the year here because there's two times he was just wide open and uh, Pur- Purdy got it to him in stride on the money. And George Kittle's one of the best players in the league out in the open field. And he made people miss and scored touchdowns like he does. And I think that's very, very important. And it comes back later in the season too because for whatever reason with Jimmy G, Kittle had kind of taken, like stunted his growth a little bit because Kittle's best season came with guys like Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. And then for whatever reason, reason, him and Jimmy G never got that synergy. And Purdy comes in and is just delivering it to him. And I think that's great for this offense because he's a massive weapon. And I agree with you with that mistake he made. I believe he kind of threw it right to the corner and got very lucky that uh, it didn't end up in their hands. Uh, But other than that, I didn't really see much mistakes. I think he did a much better job at managing pressure this game as well. Uh, Granted, the Seahawks don't necessarily have the best front seven in the world. He was still very good, in my opinion, the way he was just getting rid of the ball. Still solid accuracy for me in this game. Uh, I'd say this was a above-average performance given Purdy's standards, probably an average overall, uh, but definitely a positive look considering the situation. I mean, it was his third game starting as a seventh-round pick against a playoff team. Yeah, and moving on to the next one, this one was this one is probably his best game of the year, in my opinion, um, against the Commanders. Um, just a number of excellent intermediate passes, and there's this awesome throw where he just launches it down the field to Kittle, drops it in the bucket for a touchdown. Um, yeah, just just a really good job. Even even though he uh, had pretty low volume and took a, a few sacks there, um, I didn't think those were his fault. Just a very, very complete game. The interception that he threw I didn't think was on him either. Um, yeah, that, that's the reasoning for why I think it was his best game of the year. Yeah, I agree that that Kittle pass was absolutely beautiful put it on the money, and I don't know if I agree with you with this being the best game of his season, but it was definitely up there. Very, very impressive performance for me. Uh, He was, once again, very accurate in this one, and that seems to be a common theme with him. Uh, Once again, he got things going with George Kittle, which, like I said, is a good thing for the Niners' offense and a great thing for him because given his skill set, I think Kittle is kind of the perfect fit for him. And there's no reason not to use a guy like that. I also think he started to get things going with Brandon Ayuk a little bit in this one, who's also someone who's a great route runner and gets open very, very quickly. And with someone like Purdy who wants to get the ball out very quick, I think that's a good combo there as well. And Ayuk is also another guy, along with pretty much everyone on this Niners team, who's a really good yards after catch guy. And I think Purdy just did a great job of that in this game making sure his weapons, the guys that the Niners want to go consistently on offense, can get the ball in the open field and just make plays. I mean, he may not be the guy that will just attack you downfield every time, even though he has that done that a bunch so far. But he's probably not going to be doing that a whole lot long term. However, but if he can get it to them in the open field like this, um, 
I think he's got a good future. And the thing that impressed me most about this game is even though the Niners ran the ball a lot in this game, outside of one one-off very long touchdown to Ray Ray McLeod, their run game was kind of shut down in this game. And they really did have to lean on Brock Purdy a little bit to make plays and kind of win them the game down the stretch. And he did do exactly that. So major props to him for this game. Yeah, and moving on to the next one against the Raiders. And again, a pretty solid game for him in this one. So he does put the ball in harm's way a couple of times, which is going to hurt. But no sacks, and he makes a number of very, very well-thrown intermediate passes as well as an explosive play down the field. Um, Yeah, just a very, very good game where he makes up for his errors with a number of positive plays. And um, I appreciated his aggression in this one very much. Man, this was such a weird game for me. When I had thought about Raiders, Niners towards the end of the season like this, especially given where the Raiders won, I did not think a losing Raiders team who had just benched Derek Carr, starting Garrett Stidham versus Brock Purdy was going to be an overtime classic like this. So first of all, super weird that that happened in the first place. Uh, but even then, neither quarterback disappointed. Uh, I don't know how much we talked about Jared Stidham's game in the Raiders episode, but he was pretty much lights out all game this one, and Purdy was pretty damn good too. Uh, him and Ayuk, that connection went even crazier in this one, kind of because of what I was saying earlier. I mean, Ayuk gets open very fast. He's an incredible route runner, and Purdy's just able to deliver it to him on the money anywhere on the field, really, because Ayuk doesn't really run that many deep routes to where Purdy can deliver him the ball. I think he did check the ball down a little bit more in this game than most, and his accuracy was slightly down from before. However, I didn't see many mistakes from him. That interception, I think, was kind of a miscommunication between him and his receivers. Uh, He really didn't deal with any pressure at all in this game, and I don't know if that was just the Raiders having a poor pass rush or, or Purdy just doing a really good job of getting rid of the ball. But either ways, his pressure management was incredible in this one. And overall, yeah, he came in, he did his job. And down the stretch, he was able to pull through a tough game for this Niners team. And I know winning this game is not everything, but for a quarterback like him who doesn't maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling raising of all time and these tight games, you do want him to – maybe put together a drive or two down the stretch where, you know, you can rely on him to get that game-winning field goal and get you down the field, not choke or throw the game away, which we've seen a lot with, I mean, even in recent memory with, like, Jimmy G from time to time. I mean, he would also have good performances in that regard, but there are times we saw him throw the game away, and we hadn't seen that with Purdy yet, and I think that's a good thing. I do want to point out that, um, I really do think Purdy fits into that like ceiling raising mold that you said he doesn't really have much of. I think um, what he does lack is like that floor raising capability because I'm not sure of his playmaking and um, how much of a drop back passer he really is. Um, but yeah, I think I think he's very much able to raise the ceiling of an offense by fitting into the scheme and um, not making too many errors. Um, but oh, my bad. That's, that's kind of what I meant. I miss. Spoke on my words. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, Um, so let's move on to the final game of the regular season, where 
against Arizona. This is just an absolute cakewalk. Um, the Cardinals really have no chance, um, and the Niners just kind of walked all over them. Purdy didn't really have to do much. Um, did take four sacks on 10 of his pressured attempts, so um, could have definitely improved there. But um, besides, like, like the, the Cardinals really had no chance at all. Um, so very easy game for him. Yeah, there's really not much more I can say there. I mean, the Cardinals had given up at this point. They were playing David Blau and Trace McSorley at quarterback. I mean, there's not much you can do there. And the Niners were obviously headed to the playoffs. This was just another win. They were going to tag along as they went. And the Niners did rush the ball a lot of times with a lot of different people in this one. I think McCaffrey really just played the first half, and then they just ran the ball out the rest of the way. And Purdy was kind of just making throws in spots where he needed to. And in that, he was accurate. He did throw three touchdowns, all of which, none of which were particularly impressive touchdown passes. But he was accurate overall, didn't make any mistakes. I do agree that he took a bit too much pressure in this one, but I think that was just a product of the game being a little weird. Uh, Some of those sacks for him just like running around and falling over because he was trying to do a bit too much because they were up big and he could kind of do whatever he wanted to. This game never really felt like it was out out of reach for the Niners to win easily. So I think that was kind of the product of why Purdy's game looks like that. But overall, average to above average performance, I'd say so. Uh, and a good performance to have as you get into the playoffs, which we'll get into right now. Yeah, so the playoffs were where Purdy really solidified himself for me um, as a very solid quarterback. So um, against Seattle in the wild card game, um, not very many errors, um, only took one sack and made an explosive play down the field. Um, he was missing some throws, but um, I think I think that we can kind of chalk that up too. Um, just having an off day um, doesn't impact his day, but not really much to take away from that uh, moving forward. And um, I think that the explosive play that he did make down the field was extremely impressive. One of the more impressive throws that I think any quarterback has made um, this season, just incredible throw. Um, and he was very aggressive pushing the ball down the field with this one. So yeah, I, I appreciated his play style and um this was this kind of game where like I, I really saw kind of some adaptability from Purdy because against a, a weak secondary uh, where the Niners offense is going to have a number of advantages, he really pushed his his foot on the gas pedal and um, the Niners offense was, was strong as a result. Yeah, I think this game was where that ceiling raising stuff that you were talking about earlier really came into play. Because a team like the Seahawks, even though they aren't as talented as this Niners team, they always play the Niners tough. Even in this game's, uh, this season's games in the regular season, purely because it's a divisional matchup and they just kind of have each other's number in that sense. That's just how these games go. And normally, when you have a guy like Jimmy G, and you just see him make a play here and there that just puts the Seahawks back in the game. I mean, they normally. And that's first, it's normally kind of like that first half we saw in this game where the Seahawks and Niners keep it close. And then the second half, the Seahawks kind of keep chipping away, chipping away, and then just take the lead at the end because the Niners have made so many mistakes. And in this one, Purdy did a great job of keeping the foot on the gas. 
and just making sure the Seattle team was done. And I agree that this game was where Purdy really solidified himself for me because going into this game, there was a lot of doubts about him because even though he was good, as we mentioned in a lot of those games, he was kind of coasting. I mean, he didn't have to do much, and that's not his fault necessarily, but people had doubt because they were like, any quarterback could have won a lot of those games with this Niners team. I mean, they had Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brennan Ayuk. That's an incredible lineup with a great offensive line as well. Playing against pretty subpar teams coming into uh, this playoffs. So this was the game that Purdy solidified himself, not only to us, but like kind of the whole country. And he was lights out. Uh, I think the throw that you were talking about that was super impressive. I believe it was in this game towards the end of the fourth quarter. We saw him kind of run around, uh, avoid pressure, roll out right, and he threw an absolute dime to Brandon Ayuk in the back corner of the end zone, uh, which was dropped. And I think that was one of the best throws of the year as well. I can't believe it was dropped. And another thing that was impressive to me was that Debo Samuel 74-yard touchdown. And granted, that was a mostly Debo Samuel thing, but it kind of showed the vision of what Purdy can do in this offense because even though it was a relatively easy pass, it was maybe 15 yards downfield on like a crosser type of play, Purdy puts it right on the money, right to Debo where he would want it so that he can kind of grab it and assess the field and just make a break and go. And that's normally Debo would maybe have to make an adjustment on the catch because the pass was a little inaccurate here or there and wouldn't get the opportunity to make that big play. But because Purdy has been putting, had put it on the money, uh, Debo was able to do that. And I think that's a good sign for this offense. A very, very impressive game for Purdy, for sure. All right, and moving on to the next one, which is against a really tough defense in Dallas. And this is the one where I thought he looked a little less good. Um, Now, the Niners' offense is is still incredibly good, so um, it's going to be tough to really be bad unless you're just chucking the ball to the defense. And and Purdy's not one to do that, so um, kind of average is kind of the lowest he can go. But in this one, he wasn't really asked to do too much. He made one explosive play down. I thought his rushing was a little bit lacking, um, made a couple of boneheaded plays as a rusher. Um, and then um, the couple of sacks that he took, not really his fault, in my opinion, um, just under a lot of pressure. And this is kind of the question that I was asking, like, can his playmaking overcome that kind of pressure? Um, that That's really the last part, the last piece that Purdy has to answer for me, for him to be like a really good quarterback. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he played kind of okay-ish in this one, um, despite a couple of mistakes that he made. Yeah, this game was an interesting one to me, and I wish we got to see a full game of Purdy in the Eagles game because we would have seen even more of this. But I think this game was a clear example of Kyle Shanahan and the Niners in general not fully trusting Brock Purdy because I don't think they gave him the keys to the offense quite like they did in the last game and the rest of the season. Uh, This Cowboys defense obviously was one of the best in the league this year. A very, very good unit. And I don't think the Niners quite trusted Brock Purdy to attack this team like they did in the other games. Uh, They had this, this game felt a lot more like the 2019 run where Jimmy G had gotten injured and the Niners kind of just 
ran the ball and threw it in spots where they needed to uh, because they didn't trust their quarterbacking. It was, it was very, very simple, conservative offense. And granted, I did I do think Purdy gave them a little bit of reason to do that. I think early on they did give him a little bit more freedom to throw the ball. And we saw a lot of missed throws, a lot of inaccurate passes um, that he sailed. I think there was one time where he that is where uh, uh, the thing kind of flipped. But overall, uh, he didn't throw the game away for the Niners, which is exactly what you want out of a guy like him, uh, as P- as you had mentioned. So this performance didn't particularly blow me out of the water, but he definitely did enough to v- win a very important game, which is it's exactly what the Niners want out of Purdy. Yeah, for sure. And um, quickly touching on the Eagles game, he gets through a few passes, uh, five dropbacks before he gets injured. Um, And yeah, that is the end of his season. And it does call into question his ability to come back off that injury um, early in the season, at the very least. Um, His his, uh, rhythm might be a little bit uh, out of whack towards the early part of the season. Um, and we're not really 100% sure yet um, if he'll be the starter at, at training camp. So um, we'll see how that goes um, with the injury situation, but hoping for the best. Um, also, major props to Brock Purdy because he did come back in that game and even threw a screen pass with a torn UCL or whatever the injury was, and he came back and did play quarterback in that game for a significant amount of time. Uh, with that injury so major props to him for even doing that because that does take a lot of toughness and it may have set his injury back a little bit which is unfortunate but yeah it shows it shows a lot about his character yeah big moment of toughness for him in that one um all right that'll wrap up our rock purdy segment for this episode um so let's move on to the last guy in the niners quarterback room and that's sam darnold and Darnold might might be able to get some snaps um, if the Purdy injury goes close kind of south. Um, so we'll kind of see, but um, maybe you can touch on uh, what Darnold is as a player since I've gone first on these first couple guys and what you think of him in his overall game. Yeah, for sure. So Sam Darnold, I think at this point, we kind of know what to expect out of him. Obviously, he started his career with the Jets, uh, had not a great stint there got sent off to Carolina where people are hoping he could maybe get a fresh start. A lot of people are thinking maybe it's the Jets offense not necessarily being too good. And we saw in Carolina that it was definitely him. And I think the issue with him is mostly mental. I mean, he was a very high draft pick, played well at USC. And it's because he does have the body for a quarterback. And Probably even the arm. I mean, he's he's a pretty big guy, got a solid frame, big arm, but he doesn't necessarily have high-level processing of defenses, and it comes back to bite him over and over again because I don't think he has the quick decision-making to get the ball out uh, in, in an ample amount of time. I mean, we've seen throughout his career, he takes way more sacks than he needs to. He seems like he's always under pressure and a little bit uncomfortable in the pocket, I think it's because he's just not able to make those quick decisions and reads and get rid of the ball. 
And he isn't really the type of guy who will attack downfield. I mean, we pretty much haven't seen that all of his career. And I think that holds him back even more because he's just super, super limited. He's also not particularly mobile. Uh, I mean, he's never been a rushing kind of guy. As I said, he's a little bit on the, I guess, bigger side of quarterbacks. So he's and not super athletic, but he is somebody that can uh, come in and I guess for the Niners be a veteran guy who can at least play solidly. I mean, we've seen him be a starter for many, many years, and I think he's a good guy to have in this unit, which is relatively inexperienced in terms of NFL play and in terms of Trey Lance, just quarterback playing in general. Uh, I think it's good to have a veteran presence there. Uh, However, and I don't know if this is too early to touch on this, as I said, we do know what we have out of a guy like Sam Darnold. We've seen him so many years in the NFL, uh, both in New York and Carolina. And at his age, I think it's a little silly to play him over a guy like, I guess, Trey Lance, uh, because... With Trey Lance, we really don't know what to expect. He's only 23. Uh, Three first-round picks were spent on him to get him to play. And I think having Sam Darnold, which at this point it seems like he is the backup to Purdy if Purdy is uh, unhealthy coming into the season. I think it's a bit silly to play him when we know what we can get out of him, and it's not really good. Yeah, um, minor disagreements with what you said. So I think he's... He's actually a very athletically gifted guy. Um, I think that he's got a strong arm um, and he has strong mobility for his size. The thing that bothers me with Darnold is that his mechanics have never been consistent at all. And I think what you mentioned with the ability to push the ball down the field. So um, he has the quote unquote arm talent to do it. But um, some of his soft athleticism, like um, his ball control, um, and his touch, they kind of suffer immensely from his mechanical inconsistency, and it's why he's never been a, a strong accuracy type of guy. Um, so the success rate on those deep balls is, is poor, um, like you kind of implied. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily for a lack of trying. And maybe you want to let that bleed into his ability to process as well, because um, you can definitely see moments where he's being way too aggressive um, and pushing the ball into harm's way where he really shouldn't. Um, so... Those, those are kind of the disagreements that I had. But um, I think we do agree that he's very unrefined and has potential as an athlete, but um, has a long way to go um, in terms of his consistency and processing and, and stuff like that. Um, so, right. so let's jump right into his Week 12 game against Denver. And this first game, I think, was his best game of the season, despite the fact that he had a pretty ugly fumble. Um, He made some really, really nice throws to DJ Moore, uh, pushing the ball down the field aggressively, Um, didn't take any sacks. So um, explosive play generation, a big time key for him in this one. Um, And he played a really strong game in this one for me. Yeah, to me, this game was also probably one of his best games of the year. And I think it had to do with the fact that Carolina was switching quarterbacks and teams just, or I guess the Broncos in particular, just did not expect. Sam Darnold to come out there and because of that element of surprise I mean we see it with plenty of quarterbacks just now with Jared Stidham we talked about how he had an incredible game against the Niners and he fell off the rest of that season and I think that's what we saw here out of Darnold but 
with that being said, I will give him his props for this one. Uh, the run game was incredible for the Panthers, and Darnold did a good job of kind of playing off that. Like Petey mentioned, his uh, connection with DJ Moore was pretty good today. Uh, he didn't really take any pressure at all, which is very, very impressive coming out of a, a game where you're playing the Denver Broncos, who are one of the best uh, defensive teams in the league with a very solid pass rush for sure. So props to him for that. And he was able to take care of business. Uh, he was asked to come in and kind of be a little spark for this Carolina offense, which was very much struggling at this point in the year. And he did exactly that in this one. So props to him. All right, moving on to the next one against Seattle. Yeah, this one was pretty rough. Um, just some very, very bad moments of accuracy issues. Um, and a couple of sacks that he did take were his fault, in my opinion. Um, holding the ball in this one didn't really work out very well for him as it did last time um, that he played. And yeah, the the, the results for him, specifically uh, in terms of um, playing on kind of the edge, um, were, were not as good as, as the last game for sure. Um, despite the fact that they ended up winning this game, I really don't think it was because of Sam Darnold. Uh, yeah, I, I agree pretty much with everything you said there. I think the biggest thing to look at this game was, uh, I think it's ridiculous when a team has to rush the ball 46 times. And granted, the Panthers did have a lot of success doing it in this game, but when you're rushing the ball nearly 50 times in 2023, there's definitely something wrong with your quarterback. And I also think the fact that in 14 pass attempts, he threw for only 120 yards. I think that ties into the thing that me and PD were just talking about, where whether it's the inability to do so or the unwillingness to do so, I think it is more the inability, like you did mention, PD. He did not even once try to throw the ball downfield. And granted, this is a very good Seattle secondary, probably one of the better young secondaries in the league. So, And with the lack of receiving talent Carolina has, I'm sure it was tough to do so. However, not even attacking the intermediate range is kind of what he did in this game and definitely didn't even think about going deep. I think that limited this offense a lot. It was a lot of just short throws, maybe even screens to guys like Levis Cushenault. He was checking the ball off a lot. Uh, I think he was just kind of throwing it to whoever was open, maybe one or two yards downfield to kind of just get rid of the ball. And he didn't nearly work off the running game like he was last game. The play action was no, nowhere near as successful as it was in this game. I'm honestly very, very surprised that the Panthers did come away with this one. The way Sam Darnold played, I think it was a lot of mistakes that the Seahawks made that uh, the Panthers ended up taking advantage of. But pretty below average performance, in my opinion, here. Yeah, and moving on to the next one. So... Um, there were a, a number of moments here against Pittsburgh where Darnold looked good. He was able to push the ball down the field pretty well uh, on a couple of occasions, um, and he was overall pretty aggressive in general. But four sacks with a, a very bad fumble uh, in there as well um, and a dropped interception, those are the things that kind of hold it back from being a strong game. Um, but I think he was okay overall in this one because of those explosive plays. Yeah, I agree that this was a big step up from the previous week. However, a step up from the previous week isn't saying much considering how bad he was in that game. Uh, but I will give him his props for what he has done. 
Uh, he was a lot more accurate in this one, and like Petey mentioned, he did a much better job of pushing the ball downfield in this one. Uh, I think his help around him bailed him out a lot more. Uh, we did have a, a couple of big plays uh, made by guys like Chuba Hubbard and Terrace Marshall just purely off him giving them the ball and them making plays in the open field. And I think he was able to attack the intermediate and deep range a little more in this game because the Steelers' defense, or I guess secondary, was isn't necessarily as stingy as Seattle's. And with going up against Mitch Trubisky in this game, it's not exactly an explosive uh, offense on the other side either. So I think that kind of played into Darnold's advantage. But once again, that... Uh, inability to be comfortable and good in the pocket came in. He took a lot of pressure and four sacks, which I thought were all his fault. Uh, and the pressure, I think, in general, kind of screwed up the flow of this Panthers offense. Uh, but one thing I was impressed with was they kind of didn't go to the run game at all because the Steelers' front seven is pretty good. And the I guess the weakness of this defense was pretty clearly in the back half, especially with the injuries they were dealing with at this point in the year. And when Carolina needed to lean on Sam Darnold a little more, he kind of delivered. So I'll give him a, a roughly average performance for this game. Yeah, and moving on to the next one. Again, this one, um, he is not asked to carry much volume at all. Um, played, played a pretty solid game in this one. Made one explosive play down the field um, and was basically throwing it very short. Um, for the rest of the time. So um, another game where Carolina just let the run game carry them to victory and Sam Darnold didn't really get in the way. So decent performance here for him. Yeah, pretty much agree with what you said there because I think this game was a very unique one for Carolina because you normally don't get the insane type of rushing performances you do out of guys like Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard. I mean, these are not elite running backs who are I mean, in the case of Hubbard, he was averaging 10 and a half yards per carry in this one, and Foreman with nearly eight and 165 yards. It was kind of insane to see that. Uh, and I think Darnold was able to just do a good job of working off that. Uh, a lot of play action, and I think he had good connections here to like DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall, LaVisca Chenault. He did have one touchdown, which I did think was a, a pretty impressive pass down the field, or not too far down the field, but he did kind of fit it into DJ Moore uh, uh, in a tight window. And overall, I think this was probably one of his better performances in the year, uh, purely because he was accurate, he did his job, he executed whatever offense the Panthers had cooked up in this game to perfection, really, because everyone had a good performance here. This was kind of eye-opening for me, actually. And I wish it did continue this way, but it certainly does not. Yeah, speaking of continuing this way, um, so the next game is pretty strong evidence for why Sam Darnold is not a long-term starter. We've gone over why he's not the strongest ceiling raiser because of the accuracy and decision-making concerns. And when he's asked to really carry the load on offense, um, his decision-making and stuff really starts to show up. So in this game, he puts the ball in harm's way two times, one dropped interception, one actual interception along with a really bad fumble. Um, so three turnover-worthy plays there. And then he also has um, a couple of accuracy issues and a couple of sacks um, where I thought both of them were on him. Um, and despite the fact that he makes some explosive plays down the field, 
Um, I didn't think it was enough with how ugly those turnover-worthy plays were. So, um, yeah, just not giving his team enough of a chance to win. Um, and I think he could have definitely played better. Yeah, I agree. This was kind of the start of the fall of Darnold back into, you know, what he normally is, what we normally expect out of him. And I think he got lucky that they had a string or I guess not even a string, two back-to-back games where the defense wasn't particularly good, especially that Lions game. I believe the Lions were one of the worst defenses in the league last year, and Darnold was definitely able to cook something up against that. But this Bucks team was not good, but I guess they were a, a playoff team, and uh, they definitely were able to put up a much better front against Darnold. I felt like he was under pressure a lot more in this game, and he does take a couple of sacks, which is a, a little bit worse than what he was doing before. Uh, I agree with those turnover-worthy plays, but the interception and fumble were pretty bad, and the drop pick was also something that I thought was... I thought the Panthers had 100% turned the ball over, and the fact that it was dropped was kind of wild. Uh, his accuracy drops also in this game compared to the last few which is another negative, and I think this is kind of just an example of Carolina's rushing attack wasn't absolutely incredible this week like it was the previous weeks, and Darnold simply just isn't able to carry the load of an offense and be a volume passer and just drop back every play and, I guess, throw this team to a successful offense. And he fell off pretty bad in that second half, he did have one good drive with a, ending with a pretty solid a touchdown pass to Tommy Tremble, but I thought he was a lot better in that first half, and then the second half he just kind of skyrocketed down and was pretty terrible. Uh, pretty much all of the passing yards you see in this one, I feel like, came in that first half where he he was actually keeping up with the Bucks here, and I think the second half they made a couple of adjustments. They realized... Donald's really only able to do a couple of things because he once again didn't really push the ball downfield uh, in this one. And once they made that adjustment, we saw what uh, the Sam Darnold we know and love to this point. So tough performance, and it only gets worse from here. <laughs> there's there's really no point talking about the next game against the Saints. This is one of the worst quarterbacking performances I saw all year. Um, he had nothing like barely anything good at all just disaster after disaster accuracy was horrible decision making horrible just just yeah just just nothing nothing here that you could really take home about it and be like yeah this this was good performance just nothing there at all yeah this game in particular was the one that you really need to look at to realize why sam darnold is not a not only franchise quarterback but even starter in the league anymore uh, this reason is why, because no starter in the league is having a performance like this. Uh, and a couple of episodes ago, we talked about like Malik Willis uh, in the Titans episode. Uh, this was a Malik Willis 2022-esque performance right here. I mean, his accuracy was terrible. He was throwing the ball in harm's way left and right. Uh, fumbled as well in this one, which I didn't even catch at first. And then when PD mentioned it, I was like, man, this was a very, very rough performance. I mean, his QB rating was 2.8. And I know these stats may or may not mean much, but 2.8 is very, very bad. Actually, I believe that's the worst one we've seen in all of the quarterbacks we've talked about to this point. 
uh, very, very terrible performance at the end of the year for sure. All right, so that'll wrap up our discussion of the games played by the 49ers quarterbacks this year. So let's quickly get into their scheme fit and then project some outcomes for them this year. Um, so Kyle Shanahan's offense, like we've talked about, relies on timing, precision with the football, um, and allowing your allowing your receivers to be set up for after-the-catch opportunities. And starting with Brock Purdy, we have evidence that Brock Purdy fits that type of scheme. He's very comfortable operating in a dropback game where you can quickly get the ball out of his hands, um, hit the receivers in stride, and have good timing on those routes. Um, so we, we kind of know what, what the scheme fit is there. Um, and then with Trey Lance and Darnold, I have some more significant questions. Um, with Darnold um, and Lance, for that matter, um, the questions for me are, are with their timing um, and their accuracy, especially the accuracy for both of them. Um, they really, really need um, a lot of help uh, or a lot of work this offseason um, on, on their mechanical consistency, um, both in the upper and lower half, lower half especially for Darnold, um, where they they really need to work on that if they want to have something resembling decent accuracy, and then maybe the Niners offense will, will be operating at a strong level. Um, so I, I actually think, I, I've seen this being suggested as a breakout spot for Sam Darnold, um, I'm not really sure how much I buy that unless he has a significant change in his game or the Niners offense suddenly becomes like a like an aggressive deep passing game where they can ag- accommodate for more of his mistakes. Um, I, I, I don't see that being a really good fit. Um, so projecting some of the outcomes for, for Purdy, I think at his lowest end outcome, he looks more like a backup where coming off that injury, um, playing the games through, um, that kind of uh, injury, and he's like very much out of rhythm. He never establishes um, the, the kind of um, synergy that he had with the Niners' offense last year. Um, I think he would look like a more like a mid to high end level backup, where uh, what's what's left of him is um, his his timing and his playmaking out of structure, and his accuracy might take a dip. Um, and then looking at like 25, 25th percentile outcomes, he would look like a fringe starter type where the accuracy just gets a little bit better, um, but not quite at the same levels that it was last year. Um, and then in terms of 50th percentile outcomes, which is what we expect right now, I, I think there is like a slight dip in the accuracy uh, and the way that the Niners offense is operating. So Purdy looks a little bit more like a lower end starter to um, low to mid starter type of thing, like 22nd best quarterback. Um, but the high-end outcomes here are extremely good, and that's why he's kind of ended up ranked um, higher than than the median outcome that I would uh, that I was suggesting here. So, the 75th percentile outcome, I think he looks like a, a mid to solid starter, where his his uh, athleticism and upper body mechanics are completely fine coming off the injury, um, and he ha- and he looks to show some sort of consistency. Um, relative to even what he had last year. And at the 100 percentile outcome, uh, the Niners offense is totally operating at the level that it did last year with the offensive line changes um, being uh, positive in nature, um, them all developing properly. And Brock Purdy can kind of look like a, like a strong starter type. Um, and it is very best outcomes in my opinion. Yeah, uh, this is going to be the most interesting part of this episode, I think, because I think me and PD have a couple of things that we're going to, I guess, disagree on go- going into this. But 
for Purdy, I don't think we disagree a whole lot because I agree that his fit with the team is very, very good. I think his skill set is very similar to Jimmy G's, and uh, it mirrors it a lot, but I think what Jimmy G lacked a little bit is well, where Purdy is a little bit better, just enough for him to be a good fit in this team. One thing that Jimmy G struggled with a lot was you know, kind of throwing the Niners out of games uh, because he was very, very mistake-prone, and that's something that Purdy uh, has so far shown that he's a little bit better at. And another thing is after all the injuries that Jimmy G had dealt with, his athleticism had dipped a lot. He wasn't a very mobile quarterback, and I think when you have so many playmakers like Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, uh, you kind of do want to cut have a quarterback that can get out of the pocket, run around and get the ball to them in open space in a kind of a scramble drill sort of situation. I think that is where the Niners are the most dangerous and you really don't see it too much. And you saw it a little bit with Brock Purdy. I think if he can explore more of that, that would be really, really good for his game. Uh, But yeah, I think this is a very good fit for him. Guys like Christian McCaffrey really fit Uh, what Brock Purdy wants because he he can really just dump it off to him whenever he's really trying to get rid of the ball as soon as possible. And McCaffrey seems to be open pretty much every route he goes out on. So I think that's a great fit. And then you still have power backs like an Elijah Mitchell or Jordan Mason to give Purdy a break and just run the ball up the middle. Uh, I also think the receiver core right now fits Purdy's game. Uh, a lot of guys who just get open quickly, speed guys that can stretch the field a little bit in like Ray McLeod and Danny Gray in case he does uh, try to take that deep shot. But the stars definitely f- uh, of this uh, receiver core, and even you could throw George Kittle in there, definitely fit the mold of a guy like Brock Purdy, who he's trying to over the middle, hit you with slants, in cutting routes, maybe even like streaks down the middle of the field sort of thing that's definitely where he's best and he's also a smaller guy you could say not necessarily weight wise but height wise so you do kind of want to surround him with a solid offensive line and the Niners have done that as well it it may not be as good of an offensive line as we've seen in years prior but with Trent Williams being on the squad I think that all already elevates how good it's going to be and they do have a lot of young talent around him as well so I think the fit for Purdy in this offense is very, very good. Uh, and, and in tar- terms of where I see him ranking uh, in quarterback play, I think his medium level, median level outcome will be an average quarterback. I think that's what we saw out of him last year when he was still kind of getting into the flow of things. And I think we'll see a very similar level Brock Purdy now because of how much time we've he's missed from injury. And right now, I'm going to just trust the reports that I'm seeing that he is projected to be fully healthy at the start of the year. And I think if you do have that, I, I think the missed offseason isn't a huge deal for a guy like him who's had a lot of experience in his career so far. And I think he'll kind of just slide right in, which is why my median level outcome is where I had him last year, which was a solid, uh, maybe average to slightly below average quarterback, kind of in that 16 to 20 range. I think in the high-level outcome for him, uh, this Niners offense 
operates even better than we've seen in years prior because of all the talent they have and Kyle Shanahan being able to use them well. And Purdy just makes very few mistakes. Maybe he's able to attack the field a little bit more than we saw, or downfield even more than we saw last year. And I could see him maybe pushing for, like, not necessarily top 10, but being in that 14 to 11 range of quarterbacks where he's just a little bit above average. And I think the lower end outcome, he could fall off a little bit more than how his higher level outcome, because ultimately he was a seventh round pick. He is Mr. Irrelevant, doesn't have a ton of talent uh, in a traditional sense. And uh, that UCL injury is definitely concerning. Uh, if the injury holds him back a bit or maybe he suffers a little bit of a sophomore slump, I could see him fall to some of the bottom levels of quarterbacking, maybe in the low 20s. But I think that outcome is very, very unlikely. Yeah, and quickly touching on um, the backup quarterbacks in uh Darnold and Lance, um, yep. their outcomes, I think, are restricted in the backup range. Um, if they perform well, I think high-end backup type of thing. But if they perform poorly, like fringe third stringer type of thing, um, with both of them being like mid-level backups in, in their median. But for Lance, I think it's slightly lower than Darnold because of the severe injury that he's coming off of um, and the chemistry that he needs to reestablish um, with, with the starters after uh, having a severe injury like that. And mainly the, the biggest concern with that is that his rushing is supposed to be a bigger part of his value. And um, having a severe lower body injury like that is probably going to hurt that. Yeah. And I guess this is my opportunity to get into uh, the fit of, well, Darnold and well, ma- mainly Lance, because I think that's where I disagree most with you. And the w- reason I disagree most with the fit with Lance is because of the way I think the Niners were building the team before Brock Purdy came along. Uh, when at first glance, I thought that Christian McCaffrey uh, trade was a little bit weird considering how much assets we gave up and how we already had a lot of talent, a lot of success in the running game. I didn't really see why we needed uh, Christian McCaffrey. But then uh, when he did play, we saw him kind of put this offense over the top. But at that time, Brock Purdy was not playing. We didn't really know what that he was going to be what he was. And I think the, at that point, the expectation was still that Trey Lance was going to come in next year and take over this offense. And I think that Christian McCaffrey trade was made purely for Trey Lance. And I think he is a great fit. Uh, I think we saw not only in Lance's rookie year and a little bit when he spotted in backup positions, but also his second year, he isn't a good rusher. And I think they had cons- thought that like Trey Lance and Elijah Mitchell were going to be able to be the rushing duo of this team because of how good Trey Lance was as a rusher. But I think this Christian McCaffrey trade kind of takes the pressure off of Trey Lance to be a rusher because McCaffrey is someone who can be a three down back. You could give it to him in really any situation and he he will be able to get positive yardage. And I think that's why they got a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who's an elite rusher to allow Trey Lance to just pass the football and not have to worry about the rushing side, which he clearly can't do. And whether he can be a passer in that regard or not is something that, yeah, as of right now, it seems like he can't be that, but I think it is good to give him that 
give him a guy like Christian McCaffrey to not only take the rushing pressure out off of him, but now there's somebody he can dump off the ball to at any time and get positive yardage. I mean, we saw Brock Purdy explore that many times where Christian McCaffrey would just go on a little angle route or a little out route, and he could just dump it off to him. And that's luxury Trey Lance didn't have at all when he was playing in either of the seasons. And I think the talent around him is going to be much more valuable. And not only in the rushing game, but imagine a Trey Lance-Christian McCaffrey duo on the backfield in like a shotgun situation. Uh, Something like a read option is I think where Trey Lance can still excel a lot. Uh, Not necessarily QB design runs because I don't think he can run the ball on QB designs without getting injured. But on something like a read option where it's not necessarily the case that he's going to run the ball. I think Trey Lance still has the athleticism to get the corner on a defense and just burn teams. And if teams have to account for that too, then you're not looking at Christian McCaffrey anymore. And then he's going to burn you up the middle. So I think the rushing attack, and that doesn't even go into guys like Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason, who I also think are great fits with Trey Lance in that regard. So I think the running back room is a perfect fit for him. And I think another guy who is a great fit for him is George Kittle. Uh, me and PD have talked about Lance before and what would be a good fit for him offensively. And PD said oh, he would probably excel more in a more vertical offense where you have a lot of receivers that are big going downfield so where he can just throw the ball downfield a lot and uh, kind of not have to deal with all the quick passes and just short throws that the Niners offense has to deal with. And I think George Kittle is good in that regard because that's exactly how they used him with Brock Purdy. I mean, he was going downfield kind of up the middle pretty much that entire stint and Purdy was able to hit him downfield or maybe on like a crossing type of route where Kittle's just like 15, 20 yards downfield. I think Lance and Kittle, especially with Kittle being a huge target, is going to be a very good fit together. Uh, the one, the place where I do agree with you, though, uh, where I think that they necessarily don't have the best fit for Lance is the wide receiver room because both Debo and Brandon Ayuk are guys that are shifty, uh, one in Brandon Ayuk, he's a great route runner, and then in Debo Samuel, he's just someone you can dump it off to, and he's going to be able to break tackles and make a play because he's so good at yards after the catch. But in both situations, there are guys that need the ball kind of quickly after uh, the snap, and that's not really something Trey Lance is good at. You know, the basic mechanical throws, you know, three, five-step drop, hit him on a quick slant. Uh, I don't know if Trey Lance can do that next year or maybe even ever do that. And I think that's definitely a trouble when you're two franchise receivers or those type of players. Uh, But when they brought in Ray Ray McLeod and Danny Gray last year, who are guys who can kind of take the top off the defense downfield, I think those guys were brought in for Trey Lance to be able to throw downfield. However, the fact that those guys are not the main focus of this offense and uh, the guys that are in the receiver room, I think is definitely a weird fit for Lance. And with that being said, I'll go into where I think his outcomes for this season will be. Uh, I think in terms of his median level outcome, I'm probably higher than most, including PD, because I do think there is a solid quarterback there. However, given 
uh, you know, his career so far. I also think that where he is is extremely volatile and a lot like a lot of these other young quarterbacks we've talked about. His like positioning is very all over the place for me. So I think his median level outcome, he'll be a high level backup. I still think he has the talent to be on the level of some of the best backups in the league uh, at base value. And like I was saying earlier, I think it's ridiculous that Sam Darnold is supposed to be over him right now, but lower level outcome, I could see him falling all the way to being a low level backup player because as we mentioned, he really has not shown much and he's super raw at this time. Uh, And there is a chance that he doesn't fit into this offense well at all. And if we see more of what we saw in years prior with them, I think in year three, it's about time where you say, okay, Trey Lance is just simply not good enough to be an NFL level starter. And at that point to me, he would be either a mid-level to low-level backup. And in the high-level outcome, I could see things come together for him. Uh, this offense around him is obviously very good. And if he makes a lot of strides in his mechanics, he definitely, definitely has the talent to bring this team together and make this, you know, one of the best offenses in the league. And I could see him being like a kind of where I have Brock Purdy's median-level outcome, which is a average-to-below-average starter. And then getting into Darnold real quick, uh, I don't really think he fits in well with this offense in general. However, I don't really know what offense would fit for a guy like Sam Darnold. Uh, I think this is probably the best situation he could be in because of how much talent he has around him. He could kind of do what he did last year with the Panthers, which is just dump it off to his talent and hope for the best. And I think it will work out a lot better here than it would in, well, pretty much every other team in the league. Uh, however, I'm pretty low on him in terms of where I see him. I think at this point uh, in his career, we know he's like a mid-level backup type of talent. So that is where I have his median level outcome. Uh, if this offense really carries him and he plays well in the system, I could see him being a, a higher end backup, maybe somewhere in the 35 to 40 range. And then if we if he somehow makes this team worse despite all the talent in the low-level range, he could be, a, I guess, a little bit lower-level backup. Yeah, um, that all makes sense to me. Um, it's interesting with Kittle because I've only seen him be maximized when Jimmy G was on the field. So um, I, know, I know he has the physical capability to be a vertical guy, but... Um, one of those yeah. more like see it to believe it uh, type of things. Um, but yeah, that, that's an interesting thought where, where Kittle could be yeah. um, the focal point of, of the offense again. Um, but yeah, let's move on to our next team, uh, which is the New Orleans Saints. And um, this one's not going to be very fun to talk about, but we do have to do it um, with Derek Carr. Um, yeah, last year for Carr was, was a rough season. So let's quickly go over Carr's game a little bit. He's been... He's kind of a mechanically inconsistent type of quarterback, especially with his footwork. Um, and it can lead, to it, but he has like incredibly good touch and, and, and ball control. So those are positive skills that I really like for him. And those can lead to really, really strong stretches of accuracy where he's mechanically consistent, um, but can also lead to very bad stretches where his footwork is all over the place and he's missing a number of throws. Um, one area that's that's always bothered me with Carr um, is his behind the line of scrimmage feel is has has been really poor. 
to me for a long time. He kind of bails from the pocket early when he doesn't need to and is not good at kind of creating behind the line of scrimmage um, when when, when pressure arrives. Um, he's not really a kind, of, a kind of guy who steps up aggressively in the pocket either. Just kind of dilly-dallies a lot um, behind the line of scrimmage and doesn't really make anything out of it quite often. Um, and then sometimes I really wish he would be more aggressive pushing the ball down the field um, in times that he isn't. And then there's other times where he tries to be a little bit too over-aggressive. Um, so the field is lacking in in multiple of those areas. He does have okay-ish feel in terms of um, understanding what type of what type of pass to throw for, for what window, but even that kind of can wax and wane. So um, a comprehensively talented quarterback in terms of um, his ability to throw different types of throws. Um, he has real arm talent in terms of touch, ball control, and even some velocity. But um, I think that his understanding of the game and, and like some soft skills like that um, are really lacking for me. And I really wish that he would improve upon those areas because then he would be really he would really be a quarterback that I that I really liked. So, what are your quick thoughts on Derek Carr? And then we gotta get moving on to this week uh, or this first week's games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly, most of what you said, I agree with Derek Carr. I feel like the, it, there isn't really much to break down with his game any further than that at this point because he's been a starter for so long. We kind of know what to expect out of him. And I agree. He's the type of guy who gets a bit too aggressive at times. And I think we saw it a lot in this year. We're definitely going to talk about that in his games where he's throwing way too many interceptions or just – interceptable passes because he's trying to do too much. I think he's definitely capable of being able to read defenses at a high level and consistent consistently. But I think he almost gets too greedy in a sense where he always wants that big punch or power play and it's not always there. And I think what really set him back for me uh, is that injury that he suffered in, I believe it was either 2016 or 2017, where him and the Raiders were having one of their best seasons. And I think ever since that injury, he's kind of had a step back because his playmaking has fallen off a bit. And I think at that time, his ability to play make was good enough so that he could make high-level plays to make up for the mistakes he makes. But I think now the lack of athleticism he's had since and the inability to make as many high-level plays and even some of those plays that he could make back then, he can't make anymore, and it leads to these turnovers. Uh, I think that's what's been a problem for him ever since, and we'll see a lot of that in this season, especially this first game against uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, this this Chargers game to start it off in week one. Really, really rough performance. Um, probably his worst game of the season by by a good distance. Um, just just really like could not stay away from the turnover bug. So he has three uh, interceptions, all of them his fault, plus another dropped interception, uh, or plus another two dropped interceptions and another fumble. So six turnover-worthy plays in this one in total for him. Insane. He does push the ball down the field aggressively and makes a couple of, of nice throws, but um, like the, the amount of mistakes that he made in this one was just catastrophic and was pretty much entirely the, the reason that they lost in this one. Yeah, I pretty much agree because the Raiders were in a hole pretty early in this game, and in classic Chargers fa- fashion, they did almost 
throw choke this game away, and that's where Derek Carr kind of got things going and was making plays downfield. But early in this game, the, this game was thought to be over by halftime, maybe, because of how many mistakes Derek Carr was making. I agree that all of those picks were uh, completely his fault. He pretty much just threw it to the defense, as well as a couple more situations where he kind of got out of it lucky, as you mentioned, that fumble. And I think he was just trying to do too much too early on to beat this Raiders, uh, this Chargers team. I think he settled in a little bit more in that second half and realized, man, I have literally one of the best receivers in the league let me use him and him and Devonte adams did seem to kind of get a good connection going in that second half uh he was attacking the ball more downfield but actually converting on that even darren waller had a couple of good catches in that second half as well but overall he put himself in such a big hole in the first half with the mistakes that it didn't really matter the rest of the game and one thing that I think was an even bigger problem was the amount of pressure and sacks he was taking. I think the mistakes this game was an anomaly in terms of having six. He does always have mistakes, but six is not something that you'll see out of him every game. But something you may not see out of him every game, but we saw a lot more this season was him facing a lot more pressure than he needed to because he wasn't making the quick decisions. He was trying to hold the ball and hold out for a bigger play. And as a result, pressure was getting in his face. It was messing up the rhythm of the play. He was taking a lot of sacks. And he just simply isn't athletic enough at this age and this stage of his career to get away with that sort of thing. So a pretty bad performance for me. Yeah, and moving through the next one, um, this one was more mediocre than bad to me. He made a couple of nice throws, um, put the ball in harm's way one time um, for a dropped interception. But the, the the thing that bothered me the most was the fact that he did not keep his foot on the gas pedal late in the game, and it really allowed the, the Cardinals to come back. Now, one, one point of context that we should add um, is that Josh McDaniel's play calling is – it's really rough, um, and it uses a lot of different stuff that's that's very outdated. Um, it's not very helpful for a really elevating quarterback play. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But still, I think Carr really could have put his foot on the gas pedal a lot more in this game, and it, it ended up costing them. Yeah, I 100% agree with the play calling bit, but I also agree that this was definitely another tale of two halves sort of game with uh, Derek Carr where he almost had a reverse of the previous game where he came out lights out kind of how he ended the game in that Chargers game. And I thought maybe he was turning over a new leaf on the season. He was going to be better. And then the second half, even though he wasn't necessarily making mistakes, that offense went completely dead because, oh, even though, uh, I mean, in terms of making turnovers, he wasn't making mistakes, but he was making plenty of mistakes in terms of accuracy because, it was just drive after drive that didn't go anywhere simply because Carr was either throwing it, sailing the ball too high over his receivers or just throwing balls in the dirt. Just overall, he was super, super inaccurate in this one out of nowhere in that second half. And it allowed the Cardinals to, after getting blanked in the first half and being down three scores, come back all the way and win the game in overtime. 
And the clutch factor, even though it's not a huge thing for quarterbacks, I think the lack of clutch gene really showed in Derek Carr here because he had so many opportunities. And I really want to stress how many opportunities he had to win this game. I was watching this end of this game, and I thought there was no chance the Cardinals were able to come back. And Kyler Murray had a pretty incredible performance with a lot of plays he made, just playmaking, running around, including that touchdown in uh, overtime. But in between those, Carr had drive after drive where he should have made something happen, and he simply didn't. And I think it's it's a shame that he didn't get the ball to guys like Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, and Devontae Adams nearly as much as he should have. I think those guys combined for maybe a little over 100 yards, which definitely should not be the case in this Raiders offense. So even though it doesn't look too bad on the box score, this was a pretty disappointing performance for me. Yeah, and moving on to the next one. Um, I don't know how the Raiders managed to lose this game because Carr was very good, um, but they are the Raiders, so things things do happen. Um, a bunch of explosive plays down the field. He was very aggressive, pushing the ball uh, down the field. Foot on the gas pedal in this one. He does have a couple of turnover-worthy plays. Um, only gets punished for one of them, but I, I thought that the amount of explosive plays that he made down the field was very much enough for them to win. Um, and it's really a shame that they didn't end up winning this one because this was a very, very strong performance from Carr. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that take. I mean, the Raiders are going to Raider and find a way to lose this game. But this this was definitely uh, Carr's most consistent performance in this season so far because this wasn't a, a, a game where he was good in the first or second half. He was kind of consistent throughout. And even though he wasn't incredible at any point in this game, I would say he was just very, very solid the whole time. And honestly, that's better than him being really good at in one half and then really bad the next one. But it's it really is weird the fact that the Titans didn't score at all this that second half and still somehow managed to win. Uh, but despite that, Carr did have a very, very good performance. This was that Mac Hollins game, I remember, where everyone thought that he might just be what the best number two receiver uh, for this offense because Carr and him just happened to have just an insane connection. Then this one, uh, he did have a pretty deep touchdown as well, which was very, very impressive. Uh, I don't know what got into him in this game, but it definitely made Carr's job a lot easier. Uh, his accuracy still wasn't quite as good as I would have wanted it to be. However, definitely good enough for the situation. Uh, and he made he made that one mistake with the interception, but overall, he wasn't doing too many poor plays. He didn't take a whole lot of pressure in this one either, which I liked out of him. That's what we saw out of like a more prime Derek Carr, and I'm glad we saw this out of him here. A uh, very good performance for him. Yeah, moving on to the next one against a much tougher defense in Denver. Um, Carr was Carr was pretty average in this one, I would say. Put the ball in harm's way for one dropped interception um, and didn't really do much outside of that. So, um, yeah, that, that's just kind of going to end up in an average performance if you don't do anything playmaking-wise to make up for an interceptable pass or something like that. Um, so, yeah, just a, just a kind of average game overall here. Interesting. I guess we kind of look at uh... – this performance a little differently there because I do agree that he didn't really make any mistakes in the sense that uh, he was 
throwing uh, any interceptable passes or whatnot. However, to me, this is a below-average performance simply because simply because he wasn't doing much or just doing enough. I think he did a pretty bad job of attacking downfield like we saw in the weeks prior. Uh, and yeah, this was a very, very good Broncos secondary. So I do think uh, that was a, caused a bit of trouble. But when you have talent like Darren Waller and Devontae Adams on the team, I feel like regardless of what defense you face, you should at least attempt to attack the ball or pass the ball downfield and attack downfield to kind of open up the defense or even at least consistently attack the intermediate range, which I felt like he didn't do. I thought he was just way too conservative in this one. Uh, He was really just he was checking the ball down a lot more than I would have wanted him to. And he was also not particularly accurate in this one. And even though he wasn't taking a whole lot of pressure, I felt like he did have two sacks. But in general, I don't think he had a whole lot of pressure in his face. And I think that's because of how good the rushing game was in this one. The Broncos kind of had to respect that a little bit. And I think for a, a game against the Broncos defense, Derek Carr had a relatively comfortable time in the pocket. And he just simply didn't deliver. And he was not attacking nearly as much as I would have liked. And for that reason, I would put it a, a below-average performance. All right, and moving on to the next one in Kansas City. Um, this one, Derek Carr made some extremely impressive uh, explosive plays down the field. There's one in particular that's one of the best throws of the year um, late in the game where he climbs the pocket and throws deep downfield to Devontae Adams through a double team for a touchdown. That was incredibly impressive um, and a huge add for his value for me. In this game, he does put the ball in harm's way for one dropped interception um, and was very aggressive pushing the ball down the field. But a little bit of the accuracy issues and um, the sacks that he took were his fault. So that's going to hurt a little bit for him. Um, Again, like the inconsistencies show up a little bit, um, and that's what's holding him back from having a, a truly great game in this one, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I agreed that this was definitely a step up from what we saw in the last week. And I agreed that pass to Devontae Adams at the end of the game, I think it was nearly like a 50-yard touchdown pass that he just stepped up and put on the money to what could have tied the game. They tried to th- get a two-point conversion to win it. Uh, uh, and in classic Raiders fashion, they failed and ended up losing <laughs> because of that. But I think that was not only uh, a great throw, but also in a very, very important time period, which is something we saw Derek Carr lack a little bit in the past few games. We saw them lose a lot of close games, because partially because Derek Carr just not delivering in drives down the stretch. And he did absolutely the opposite of that in this game, so props to him for that. I agree that the accuracy issues were still a little bit there. And I think in general, he should should have done a better job of just uh, passing the ball to his, uh, what's it called, his weapons. I feel like, yes, Devontae Adams did have two pretty deep touchdowns, and as a result, that was pretty, and both were pretty impressive uh, touchdown passes. But I feel like he didn't consistently go to Devontae Adams or, like, any of his other weapons to the point where it was consistently burning that Chiefs defense. I think they were making their play, uh, their 
money on just deep passes, and that's just not something that you can consistently rely on when you're a quarterback of the tier of Derek Carr. I mean, there are other quarterbacks at a higher level who are able to kind of operate that way, but I think long-term that's not something Derek Carr can do. However, for the purpose of this game, it was still very, very solid, and I was mildly impressed by it. Yeah, moving on to the next game uh, against Houston. So um, it's Houston, so we got to take it with a grain of salt. But Carr was very good in this one. Um, just executed the short passing game very well. He does have a bad fumble in this one, but I still think that he played a really clean game. Um, and there's not much else other than that fumble that you can really knock him for. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it best. It's Houston, so uh, pretty much any offense and any competent quarterback uh, is able to take advantage of that, and Derek Carr is definitely at least at that level, and we saw it in this one. I mean, not only was the passing going well for them, but the rushing attack was going well, and Derek Carr wasn't asked to do a whole lot because of that, because of how it was a pretty balanced attack overall. And he was just hitting his guys short, intermediate, and just uh, getting the ball to them on the money in stride. And just keeping the sticks moving, getting their scores, uh, and getting out of there. They did explode in that fourth quarter, which was also pretty impressive for me. Because uh, for a while, it was looking a little bit, I guess you could say, nerve-wracking for the Raiders. Because... uh, you weren't sure if you were going to blow it against a team like the Texans. But then when it came down to it, when they needed it, Derek Carr delivered and put together a couple of drives to really put this game away. And even though it was a little late, better late than never. So it's all pretty good performance from him overall. All right. The next one is where it starts to go south. So um, yeah. this one against the Saints, Carr was, was pretty awful. Um, really couldn't get anything going in terms of consistency. The offensive play, go- play calling was horrible. He was able to generate one explosive play down the field, um, but did have a, a bad turnover-worthy play for an interception and really had nothing else going for the entire of the game. So um, horrible offensive rhythm for the Raiders um, and not a good performance from Carr overall. Yeah, I agree. When This is when things started to go a little bit south for Carr, and it probably wasn't this bad or really wasn't this bad the rest of the season, but man, this was definitely a low point for him. I mean, he ends up getting benched uh, for Jared Stidham in this one. And funnily enough, this was the game. uh, This was against a team that's going to be his his current team this year. So uh, that's kind of surprising that the Saints saw this performance out of Derek Carr and decided, okay, this is who we want to be our franchise guy next year. Uh, but getting into the actual performance, yeah, it was pretty awful overall. He was dealing with a lot of pressure, took a bunch of sacks that he didn't need to. Uh, he was pretty inaccurate throughout. Didn't even attempt to even once attack the ball downfield. I mean, in 15 passes, he only threw a little bit above 100 yards. And I think Marshawn Lattimore kind of just took Devontae Adams out of this game. And as a result, Carr just really had nothing to go to. He just simply was unable to throw his guys open or get any connection going with any of the other worst talent. Uh, I think... It, it is definitely on the Vegas uh, receiving core for 
not being able to get open as much for Derek Carr. And it's also a little bit on the rushing game for not really being too good. But you also have to blame Carr a little bit here because he just, it was just this entire offense was on different pages and they weren't able to get anything going whatsoever. Just a terrible offensive performance. And I think you kind of expect that when you see a zero on the screen for an NFL team after an entire game. But this was definitely just an atrocity of an offensive performance. Yeah, moving on to the next one. So against Jacksonville, um, Carr was actually able to make a number of really, really nice plays down the field. Um, Was really pushing the ball into tight windows in this one. Um, And I really appreciated that kind of aggression from him. But that does come with cost because his accuracy in this one was pretty poor. Um, And again, for for the nth time, um, the consistency issue with Carr shows up. He will rarely ever um, put together... Uh, a strong stretch of games where he's just consistently good in all areas for for all of those games. So, uh, yeah, we, we continue to see some of the issues with Carr again. Yeah, I was talking about it earlier in the season, and it showed up once again. It's always a tale of two halves with Tarek Carr, and you saw it again this one because in the second half, he absolutely blanked. And he came out in this first half firing and playing a lot better than he was in that last game. Uh, We saw two pretty impressive touchdown passes to Devontae Adams, particularly that second one that was like a 40-yard pass. I thought was really impressive. He put it right on the money. He kind of knew what he had in Devontae Adams who could just go up and get it. And, yeah, I I liked what he was doing with him in the first half. And in the second half, the accuracy issues just came back in full strength and really held back this Raiders team. I don't know what happens to him that makes him just be able to throw the ball accurately and on target to his guys in the first half. And in the second half, it just all fall apart. But it it happened again. And it's really, really disappointing to see, Uh, even though he didn't necessarily make any mistakes in terms of throwing interceptable passes, he didn't fumble anything. I'm once again going to give him a below average performance simply because He can't put together a whole game, and that's just not good quarterback play. That's just not winning football. Yeah, moving on to the next game um, against Andy. So this one was was pretty rough to me. So so this is a classic case of the box score really lying. Um, And Carr was was largely inaccurate for most of this day, and he really didn't generate explosive plays down the field, and he had one bad turnover-worthy play. Um, which was a dropped interception. So um, the box score really lying in this one, and I think the receivers did a lot of work for him this in this one that are really helping him save face. But I thought this was one of his worst games of the season, honestly. Yeah, having watched this game, I honestly agree with you in terms of the box score really lies to him on this one because we see him throw a deep touchdown pass to uh, Devontae Adams in the fourth quarter, which... Uh, I do also agree that Adams did do most of the work in that one. It wasn't really Carr doing it, and I think that really made his day look a lot better uh, than it should have been overall. I think he was taking a lot of pressure from this Colts defense, and two sacks, I guess, for him at this stage in his career is kind of what you're going to expect, but still disappointing that he even took that. Uh, But I think his accuracy was just kind of all over the place in this one. And I think it was because they had to rely on him a little bit more as a volume passer uh, than they normally do. 
uh, the Raiders because of how uh, kind of mediocre the rushing game was for them. Uh, normally this season, Josh Jacobs was pretty much dominant in every game. And in this one, he just wasn't all there. And it was kind of on Derek Carr to make something happen. And he simply didn't make enough happen. I mean, him and Devontae Adams did still seem to have a good connection here, but he really wasn't able to get anything going with anybody else on this field. And even Devontae Adams, it was really that one pass and a couple other passes here and there that made a lot of what he was doing. So overall, just pretty disappointing once again and just a below average performance. Yeah, it doesn't get too much better, even though it does get better in the next one against Denver. Um, he does put the ball in harm's way for an interceptable pass that was dropped, but he does make some explosive plays that helps make up for it. Um, and overall, this looks more like an average game for Carr than a bad one. So I guess you could say it's a better performance than the last one where he thought he was pretty bad, um, but uh, still not totally moving in the right direction. We will see some of the, some more of that next week, though. Yeah, uh I thought this was honestly a pretty impressive game for Carr. Maybe I need to go look back at it, but I actually didn't have any interceptable passes for him in this one. And I was particularly impressed by that deep touchdown pass he had in overtime to end the game to Devontae Adams. I thought him and Devontae Adams' connection in this one was really good. And I think this kind of bounce back happened because of Josh Jacobs, you know, kind of getting back to normal form in this game. Uh, and finally, we've got a little bit of consistency with Carr. He was still a little bit better in that he still had stretches where he wasn't particularly good. To me, it was that first quarter and the third quarter where he struggled a little bit in this game. But overall, he had enough consistency in this uh, in this game to ha- make sure this Raiders offense didn't completely stall out. And I think he did a better job of spreading the wealth in this one, even though Devontae Adams was pretty much the primary target here. He did get the ball to guys like Matt Collins, a little bit to a couple catches here and there to guys like Foster Moreau, Keelan Cole. And I think because he spread the ball a little bit more than in the previous games, uh, they had a little bit more diverse of an attack. And that made this a little bit, a better of an offensive performance than we've seen in the weeks prior. However, he still didn't do anything that really blew me out of the water. I was just impressed with the fact that he didn't make too many mistakes. He didn't really take much pressure or sacks and he delivered when it, he really needed to with two pretty impressive passes to Devonte Adams. So uh, definitely a bounce back performance for him here. All right. Speeding through this home stretch um, from week 12 to 16. So, in Seattle, he goes up there. He has two interceptions uh, early on. Neither of them his fault, in my opinion. Um, and then just completely takes over the game. Um, goes on an absolute heater. Uh, makes multiple explosive plays down the field. No turnover-worthy plays in this one. Just a controlled, balanced type of attack. Only t- takes one sack. Um, yeah, just a really, really strong game. Um, was v- very well supported by the run game as well. So. Good offensive performance to watch overall, and Carr played very well, in my opinion. Yeah, I got to agree with that take here. I thought this was one of his more uh, impressive performances of the year, and it reflects in the score of the game. I mean, and not only that, I think a lot of his best performances in this season so far had to do with the fact that Devontae Adams was just absolutely out of this world. 
And like you said, this was a really balanced attack, not only in the sense where he was uh, attacking all levels of the field, whether it was deep, intermediate, and short, mostly intermediate, but he was still balanced in that regard. But he was also balanced in the regard that he was spreading the wealth a lot, got all of his receivers involved, uh, didn't really... I actually thought one of the picks was his fault, but in general did not really have too many turnover-worthy throws. Uh, even though he did take one sack, in general, he had very, very few uh, plays where he was under a lot of pressure. He seemed very, very confident in the pocket, and he was just doing his thing. And once I again, I think it has to do with the fact that the run game got going for the Raiders once again. I think when you really have to rely on Carr to do stuff, you see those like tale of two halves kind of performances or maybe him shitting the bed completely like he did versus the Saints. But in this one, the Raiders offense was just firing on all cylinders and they beat a really good Seahawks team. At this point in the year, they were really rolling and the Raiders were one of the teams that kind of started their series of losses at this point in the season. So I was highly impressed by uh, Carr's performance in this game. Yeah, um, and moving on to the next one against the Chargers. So I thought he was okay in this one, had some accuracy issues and some miscommunications with his receivers, but he was very aggressive pushing the ball down the field um, and made a couple of explosive plays while not turning the ball over uh, or putting the ball in harm's way, rather. Um, So yeah, pretty solid performance here from Carr. Um, Ended up as kind of average um, with the accuracy issues, in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, to me, honestly, I guess I was a little bit harsher on this performance because after seeing what I had seen out of him last week, I was expecting him to con- maybe not continue that high level of play, but at least maintain a similar level. But to me in this game, he kind of reverted back to what we had seen uh, a lot of the rest of the year with the inconsistency. And he had a really good stretch in that second and third quarter where he was pretty much lights out, especially that third quarter where he had two uh, deep uh, passes to Devontae Adams. Uh, I remember watching both of those, and both of those were very, very impressive touchdown passes. Uh, got Devontae Adams right on the money. Uh, Adams wasn't even necessarily uh, super open on either of them. But he was able to just launch it downfield to him in a tight window with the corner nearby and get things going. However, the problems came in in the first and fourth quarter where he really sold the game for me. I mean, first of all, in the first quarter, he did start with a pick six, which to me kind of put them in a hole throughout the rest of the game and almost was the reason they ended up losing. Obviously it wasn't, but I think that was, that's a huge mistake that he can't make. And that fourth quarter, he kind of ghosted. Luckily the chargers weren't necessarily able to make anything happen after those two huge strikes that Carr had from Devontae Adams in the third quarter. But had they done a little more, I think the Raiders' inability to put the game away could have hurt them a little bit there. And I think his accuracy was a bit of a struggle in this game as well. He was not nearly as accurate as I would have liked, in particular the receivers that weren't Devontae Adams. I think he kind of reverted back to that Derek Carr who targeted Adams a lot and had a good connection with him, but didn't really get anything going with anybody else on the field. So... It was a, probably a, a average to slightly below average performance for me, but definitely not something I was impressed by. All right. Um, 
Maybe it's because I don't want to talk about these or because they're just dry to talk about, but I'm going to group these last three games together because they're all disasters. Um, and he gets benched, yeah. benched shortly after. So from week 14 to 16, Carr put the ball in harm's way six times, um, wasn't able to generate explosive plays down the field, only did two times in that entire three-game stretch, um, had some accuracy issues, was inconsistent about managing pressure, just 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 not good stuff. And it, and it made sense why he was benched at the end there. So, um, yeah, a, a poor ending to the season uh, for Carr, and it led to him exiting the team. So all that needs to be said there. Yeah, I mean – I'll I'll go with you and kind of just speed through these games. These three game stretch was the reason the Raiders lost complete faith in Derek Carr and really did not want to move on with him long term. And I think for a while now, the Raiders were in this limbo of do we stick with Carr or do we move on to something else? And I think these last three games really solidified it, especially that Steelers game where he threw three interceptions. And I honestly thought he had even more interceptable passes. That game was really, really rough. And the accuracy issues and the slight lack of confidence that we were starting to get out of Carr, who was typically a very, very confident quarterback, someone who, didn't have too much fear and really just ripped it around. We started to see, you know, the complete opposite type of player. And I think when he goes to New Orleans, he's kind of going to have to build that up because of how much he lost it in not only those three games, but even that stretch before that Seattle and Denver game where he had another three, four games in a row where he wasn't particularly good. Uh, I think this was the biggest down of a season that had a lot of up and downs and, that's what ultimately led to his benching and something to definitely look at as we go into next year, as we talk about his fit with the saints and what we think of him on that team. All right. Quick speed run again, um, through James Winston's first few games, um, with the saints last year, all of them or the first game against Atlanta. He made a couple of nice plays. Uh, the last two, um, just really rough, like six turnover he plays, or sorry, not six, eight turnover-worthy plays in two games, which is not going to put you at, at a chance to really win. So, um, yeah, rough performance in those last two games. Makes sense why they went and added another quarterback. Um, I I don't believe in Jameis Winston as a long-term guy. I haven't since 2017 probably. So, um, yeah, they, they they really needed help, and they, and they went and got it um, with Derek Carr. Um if you want to, if you want to add um, about Jameis, just let me know. Otherwise, we can start talking about um, how they fit the team and scheme. No, I I think you summed it up pretty well. We can we can get into the Saints fit. Uh, I I have nothing more to say about Jameis. Right. He is what he is. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, the fit with this team and scheme. So, um, in terms of the talent that they have on the roster, I'm a very big fan of Chris Lave. I think he's a very very good uh, young player, and he. He kind of complements what Carr wants to do at this point, which is um, kind of a little bit of everything, um, which is Carr can play short area of the field. He can push the ball down the field. It's just the timing of when to do that is is Carr's issue. And I think that Carr's issue specifically is not really fixed by any receiver, which is which is feel. Um, but uh, Olave has all the tools in the in the toolbox to kind of complement Carr's game. So I like that fit. Um, I also like the idea of Rashid Shahid and Michael Thomas being uh, opposites of one another with Rashid Shahid being a big time deep threat and, and Michael Thomas being uh, an underneath type of guy. 
Um, we'll, we'll see what Michael Thomas has left. I'm not very confident. Um, and I think that it's very possible that someone like A.T. Perry could have uh, more impact than, than Michael Thomas by the end of the year. Um, and then in terms of the offensive line, I think they have a decent group. Um, and it just kind of depends on th- their outcomes for, for the year. So if they have more higher-end outcomes, they could look like a strong offensive line. But um, I've seen significant inconsistencies with a, a number of these players. Um, and their development is is a key part for how Kari could look. Um, and then how Jameis Winston kind of fits with this team. Um, Jameis just kind of just kind of does things that that he wants to do. <laughs> There's no like team scheme <laughs> thing that you can do. I guess if if you wanted to say one thing with Jameis, you could like go more run game play action type thing to make sure that he doesn't have enough opportunities to put the ball in harm's way. But um, yeah, I, like I don't I don't believe in Jameis as as a scheme fit type of player. Um, so do you want to add to that, or can we move on to our projected outcomes? Uh, now I'll talk a little bit about the Derek Carr fit because I have a couple of thoughts about it because I think there's some aspects where I do believe uh, Carr is a good fit for the Saints, and in some I don't. And to get, I'll get started with the running back room. I think the running back room is a pretty great fit for Derek Carr, actually. Uh, I think the Raiders, pretty much the entirety of Derek Carr's career there, had this sort of duo running back kind of game up till maybe the end with uh, Josh Jacobs, where they had one guy who was more of a shifty guy uh, who Derek Carr could dump it off to and then do like their more outside running plays. Maybe someone like uh, Darren McFadden in his early uh, in Carr's earlier years. Or even later on, they had whoever was the backup of uh, uh, Josh Jacobs kind of had that role. And then they had a power back who was Josh Jacobs in the old offense. And then now they have Jamal Williams. And I think when you have Derek Carr, you're kind of expecting that you're going to need a good run game. Uh, I think everyone knows at this point, and especially we saw last season, Derek Carr cannot shoulder an entire uh, passing game or uh, offense with his passing game regularly. So the fact that he's on an offense that has probably one of the best one-two punch uh, running backs in the league, and especially because even if one of them goes down or gets injured, you still have the other for Derek Carr to lean on for that portion of the season. So I think that's a great fit for him. Also, another thing that at this point, I talked about Derek Carr does deal with a lot of pressure because he's not as athletic, especially since that injury. And he just never has been the type of guy to be super mobile. He will run and scramble a little bit when need be, but that's definitely not something uh, that's a positive of his game or something that he wants to do. And going to a setting like the Saints where that offensive line um, is honestly one of the best ones in the league, in my opinion. I think this is going to be a really good, really physical offensive line. I think they're at their best rushing the ball. Uh, rushing the ball. I think some of their guys like Trevor Penning, uh, Cesar Ruiz are really good run blockers. And I think they're going to be great protection out, uh, around Carr. Uh, my only issue is that receiving core. And it's not really... Uh, anything to do with a guy like Chris Olave because I also think, just like you said, he's really the perfect fit uh, for a guy like Derek Carr. He's someone who's almost always going to be open, a very, very good route runner. He's got sure hands, pretty big catch radius. 
Uh, he could, even though he's not necessarily as good as Devontae Adams just yet, I think he can be uh, Derek Carr's Devontae Adams. However, I think the problem comes with, like, the rest of the receiving core because of how much just question marks we have. I mean, before Chris Olave came around, we this was pretty much the worst receiving core in the league when Michael Thomas was injured as well. And I think they pretty much still have that. Uh, with Michael Thomas, you honestly don't know if he's going to be able to play this entire season healthy. He hasn't been able to do that in a couple of years. And even when he is on the field, does he even have anything left in the tank? And then you have a guy like Rashid Saheed, who is a good deep, deep threat. He's got speed, but one, that's really not Carr's game. I mean, we talked about how he wasn't really attacking the ball downfield too much unless it was Devontae Adams. And I don't think Shahid has the ability to get open like Devontae Adams did consistently. And I just don't think Carr can get it to him. And guys like Traquan Smith, James Washington, I just simply don't think have enough talent to support Derek Carr. So I think that's one problem with it. And I think the other issue with it, and I talked about this with the Raiders, with their move to Jimmy G. And I think this is even more apparent with the Saints. But I think the Saints just keep getting guys who are going to keep them mid or maybe slightly above mid. And I just don't know why the Raiders did it in that move from Derek Carr to Jimmy G because, like I said there, it was a lateral move at best, maybe even worse. And I think here it's a pretty clear upgrade going from a guy like Jameis Winston or whoever else they've had the past couple of years playing quarterback since Breeze has retired to a guy like Derek Carr, who has been a starter for many years, used to be a franchise guy. But I think it's pretty, pretty clear that this team is not able to compete for let even the playoffs, let alone a title, with this roster with a Derek Carr at the helm. And this roster isn't necessarily bad by any means, but it's definitely not elite to the point where you can just plug and play a Derek Carr and be a really, really good football team. I think by putting Derek Carr, who's an average quarterback, you're just de- making this team being destined for mid and just continuing the process of being a roughly 500 team that's maybe competing for a wild card spot and maybe competing for uh, 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 and the playoff uh, position in their division. I guess that is kind of up in the air right now with the Bucks falling off a bit. And maybe they do get that uh, 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 divisional win and lose in the first round or something. But overall, you're not destined for a whole lot. And it, it might sound like a tangent right now because that has nothing to do with Derek Carr's game necessarily. But I think that's why this is a poor fit for Derek Carr because we've seen for years him be on a team that was also pretty much destined for mid uh, in the Raiders. And time in and time out, we see him get kind of thrown under the bus and be the scapegoat for the team because they just simply don't have enough talent to be a winning football team. And I think that's kind of the case here with the Saints as well, where Carr will definitely have some games where he loses loses it for them, but there will also be some games where the Saints just as a team just aren't good enough. And overall, they're going to average out be roughly 500. And for Carr, after having his time with the Raiders at his age and 
at his point in his career, I would have liked him to go to probably a better team. He could have maybe helped win a championship or at least be in that realm because I see Carr kind of like I've talked about a guy like Stafford where I think the situation around him is going to dictate how well he's going to end up playing. I think Carr's not the type of guy that'll take a decent team to high high places, but he can probably be a decent quarterback for a really, really good team and win them games. And for that reason, I just think this is a poor fit for Derek Carr. Yeah, um, I think that kind of ties in very well with what we're going to talk about with the outcome projection. Um, so let's get uh-huh. right into that. So for Carr, I think um, you, you kind of mentioned how the Saints have a ceiling of like losing early in the playoffs. Um, I think their schedule yeah. in the regular season is weak, so Carr could benefit a little bit from that. So kind of his high-end outcome, I think, is like a low-end pro bowler type, strong starter type at his 100th percentile outcome, like everything's going right. Um working my way down from there like likely more high-end ceiling type thing is where he's like a strong starter like 12th 13th best quarterback in the league um and looking more into like the median outcome um i think it's more like the 17th 18th best quarterback in the league um i think he still has starting capability but um at this point it's it's definitely diminished from what it used to be a few years ago um and then looking at kind of lower end outcomes we can kind of focus in on the later games that he played where his feel and athleticism looked sharply declined, um, and he looked more like a low-end starter or a backup type. So that's where I'm leaning for the lower-end outcomes, like a realistic floor, probably in like the 24 to 25 range for a quarterback, and the lowest-end outcome I can see is something like um, a lower-end back or not a lower-end, a higher-end backup to mid-tier backup. I think he could have a significant fall-off. That is a possibility that's within the cards. Right. And and for me, I see Derek Carr and if I don't know if, if you guys have seen uh the Matthew Stafford or Ryan Tannehill episode, I kinda see Carr to be in a similar point of his career than those guys. And I think the only difference is that Carr probably has a little bit better injury history and most importantly the team around him is much better than the Rams or Titans have put around those guys. And for that reason, I'm going to rank him a little bit higher than them. But had he been in a worse situation, he definitely could have been down there with them. And for that reason, I think his median level outcome will probably be in that close to the number 20 uh, spot as a quarterback, probably a little lower, maybe a little higher. Uh, I think his 100 percentile outcome isn't much better because I think at this point, uh, in uh, Derek Carr's career, we kind of know what to expect out of him. And it would be incredibly weird if he ended up just being elite out of nowhere. So I think at best, he'll be like an average to above average quarterback, probably in that 16 to 13 type of range. It, I do see a situation where like that running game really goes well. Michael Thomas maybe takes a little bit step back to where he was in his prime. And with those four weapons alone and a good offensive line, I could see Derek Carr make things ha- uh, make things work and be a slightly above average quarterback. And I think at worst, Derek Carr does not fall off much from where he is in his median outcome either. Like I said, we kind of know what to expect out of him. So it would be really weird if he became a backup level player out of nowhere. So to me, his low end outcome would be somewhere in the mid 20s. Maybe injuries pile up or maybe someone on uh, a guy like Chris Olave or Alvin Kamara get injured and that 
uh, Saints offense becomes a lot worse. And as a result, Derek Carr's play becomes poorer. And I could see him being there. But overall, I don't see a whole lot of volatility with where he is at the end of the season. Yeah, for me, it depends on like how much of the feel issues get worked out by the schematic fit and how well Michael Thomas and Rashid Shahid are playing and stuff like that. Um, So I understand where you're coming from if you think that like the supporting cast has a smaller range of outcomes because Carr kind of is is quote unquote ceiling ranger type. He kind of goes as his supporting cast goes um, if he has the right scheme around him. So um, yeah, that's kind of what I see. Um, quickly touching on Jameis before we get out, there's no there's no uh, starter upside here. This is like, at, at his best, he's a high-end backup. At his worst, he's like a third stringer. So um, that's how I see Jameis. Any disagreements? And then we can probably hit up. Uh, no, no no real disagreements there. I think Jameis at this point, we know he's going to throw a lot of yards, he's going to throw a lot of touchdowns, and he's going to throw a lot of interceptions. And I think no matter where he is, he's going to do that. And my outcomes for him are pretty much where – you would have him as well based off that. All right. Uh, make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform you're listening on. That'll be all from me. That'll yep. be all from Potty. And we will see you guys in the next one. Peace. Yep. Peace out.